Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has got to be one of the most misinformed, misguided, ignorant people I have ever had the mispleasure, the misfortune of having to listen to. And it sucks because she's the only thing anyone's talking about. It's like Donald Trump is number one, and then AOC, as the kids call her, because Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is kind of a mouthful. So the kids call her AOC. Well, I've decided that I'm going to start only referring to her as AOL. Instead of AOC, I'm going to start referring to her as AOL because her information processing power is a little slow. So I found this AOL interview on Now This News, which is the most left-leaning, biased news source you could possibly think of. It's similar to BuzzFeed, except it's almost more left-leaning than BuzzFeed. And basically, they just gave her a chance to just talk for 12 minutes with no rebuttal, no interruption, no serious questions. Uh, They just let her monologue about with with no correction whatsoever. There was no actual fact-checking about what she was saying. So here's what I'm going to do. This interview can be found on YouTube. It's called Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez AOL Interview with Now This Extended Cut. So you can find this on YouTube if you would like to watch it for yourself. Basically, it's just her talking with a white background. But because nobody was fact-checking her in the interview and it has half a million views, I figured I would be the one to fact-check it for you. I think it's hilarious that she tries to talk about economics. So she actually does have a bachelor's degree in economics. But, I mean, come on. 80% of college professors are Democrats. And so you got... Listen, okay, so my major when I was attending college was economics. And I had... Dude, one of the main reasons I dropped out was because going to class was giving me brain damage. I'm just thinking the whole time, have you ever read Adam Smith? Have you ever read anything about economics? It's almost like AOL read the back of Economics for Dummies, you know, read the back description of of Economics for Dummies and said, hmm, that sounds boring, and just threw it out. So... Okay, so I'm just going to play this interview, and I'm going to stop her whenever she needs to be fact-checked, which is like probably averages every 15 seconds she says something that is either factually incorrect or something that she has not thought through whatsoever. Here we go. We have a huge issue with cost of living in New York City, and what a lot of people don't know and what a lot of our current debate distracts from right now is cost of living and economics. The fact that it is so much harder to raise a family on one or two incomes. Which is, okay, first of all, her her antidote for the cost of living is government intervention. That's what she's going to suggest here. 
is that because the cost of living is so high, the government has to step in because people just can't support their families. Well, the reason that they can't support their families is because of government intervention. And so she's going to suggest here more government intervention uh, later on in the video. Now than it was 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. And that has to do with the fact that there are a lot of politicians in both parties, and especially in New York City and the Democratic Party, that are financing and doing the work of luxury real estate developers. Foreclosures in Throgs Neck, in the Throgs Neck neighborhood of the Bronx, have gone up 145% in the last year. Those developers take... take. It's because, that, it's because the government is trying to intervene and lower prices artificially rather than allowing the free market to do so. That's the only reason that foreclosures have gone up, because prices are soaring, because the government is regulating and making everything so... They're not intending to do this, but it's making the prices so much more expensive for housing. Over those foreclosed properties, flip them, they'll develop them, they profit off of them, and then they take those profits and pump them into our electoral system. Okay, so right here, she is... She's basically uh, uh, talking poorly about people who flip houses for a living. Well, first of all, anybody can do that. If if you are somebody with good credit and, and can actually get a loan, which most people can. I mean, she's already stated that these people are living in houses. So presumably, that they, presumably they have enough money to be able to get a housing loan. Well, anybody, any entrepreneur can decide that they want to start flipping houses. So what she's saying, she's basically saying that entrepreneurs who are choosing to flip houses are, uh, are doing something wrong. And then she goes on to say they're putting all of their profits into the political system. Like to, basically what she's trying to say is that they're trying to rig – people who flip houses are trying to rig the political system in their favor. Okay, maybe maybe five percent of them do that, maybe less. Okay, but the vast majority don't put all of their profits into rigging the political system. It's a very small percentage that actually go that try to lobby the government. Most people use that money to feed their families, and so you're saying that they're doing something wrong by trying to make a profit and feeding their families, but you're also saying. Well, people just can't afford to feed their families. Well, maybe it's because people like you are regulating them and are not wanting to allow them to feed their families. And um, we need the only way that this is going to end and the only way that life is going to get better for us as working class Americans is by electing people who don't take corporate PAC money. That is it. We have to keep an eye out for the underdogs in our congressional races in 2018. So I am a progressive Democrat running for Congress. So what does a progressive Democrat means? That means that I believe that health care is right. I believe... So this is maybe a month or two old, this interview. So this was before she was actually elected as a congresswoman. At every single working class American in this country, every man, woman, and child deserves to be protected from bankruptcy due to health issues. I don't think that anyone should go bankrupt because of a cancer diagnosis or multiple sclerosis. 
which is why you get health insurance. I mean, that's it. If you have a full-time job, they provide health insurance. It would be very cheap, but unfortunately, Obama messed that up. So, of course, no one should go bankrupt because they should have a job that pays their medical bills, that pays for their health care. Or just the normal facts of aging. I believe that our climate is in a crisis right now and that for our economy and for our children, it is time to move over to a renewable energy economy by 2028. I believe... Okay, I don't have an issue with moving over to renewable energy, but when you're forcing people to do it by law rather than letting capitalism organically move it... Listen, okay, who doesn't want a Tesla? Everybody wants a Tesla. So the great thing about innovation and technology is that if you invent a product that is awesome, that at the same time helps the environment, yes, everyone's going to want it. But the problem, like, if you can have an option where you never have to pay for gas again, so you get an electric car, I mean, who doesn't want that? There will still be people who, just for nostalgic purposes, want to drive a gas motor. And I think that should be allowed. Uh, but the problem here is that she is trying to enforce this by by using government intervention. So, like, if you drive a gas-powered vehicle, you, you'll have to pay a fine and potentially go to jail if you don't pay the fine. So it, it's just – it's crazy to me. And, and she's saying that this won't have any negative impact on the economy. Give me a break. As a, as a progressive Democrat, that that is possible, it is attainable, and it will hire a ton of people and put a ton of people to work in the process. I believe that every single American should have the opportunity to attain the education that he So she just said that it will put a ton of people to work. That's one of the benefits of government intervention, that now she's going to force people to work in you know renewable energy fields. Okay. Dude, you're talking about putting everybody in the oil field, which is a giant, significant percentage of the American population. You're talking about every single person who works in an oil-related job will now no longer have a job in the oil field. So she's talking about how many jobs. Just think of all the jobs it'll create. No, you are eliminating millions of jobs from the market if that is what you really – if that's what you're wanting to do. That will put so many people out of work, and they'll have to find new, probably lower-paying jobs now. So that's a silly thing to say. Or, or she sees fit for themselves. So I believe that every single American should have the opportunity to attend college or trade school. Our economy, and when we look at the history of our country, we extend our educational system about every 100 to 150 years. So when we first started, people would only have a fifth grade education when we first started this country. I mean, even... First of all, that's not even true. So the public school education system has only been around for, for about 100 to 150 years. So she's saying that it gets extended every 150 years? No, it's only been around for that long. So, like, in, in its modern, in its modern uh, stage as it is now. Yes. Then we decided nationally that we needed to extend education and make middle school available to 
all Americans as part of our public schooling system. And then people don't even realize as late as, as 1950, 1940, that's when we really made high school available to all Americans. Now it's 2018, our economy has developed, technology is here, and we need to educate Americans and make public schooling extend to college and trade school. And so as a progressive Democrat, I... Okay, so play this out in your mind. So what she's trying to say is that over time, Americans extend the length of education. So it used to be up to just fifth grade. I don't even know if that's true, uh, or elementary school. And then it used to, and then they extended it to middle school. And then later they extended it to high school that the government pays for. Um, and by the way, the government doesn't pay for any of this. Taxpayers pay for everything. So you, out of your pocket, pay for a public school system that you may not even uh, send your child to. Um, so the government doesn't pay for, I, I just want to make this clear. The government doesn't pay for anything. The government sits there, collects a check for, for no reason whatsoever. They don't do any work. They collect a check from American taxpayers. And then after, after stealing our money, then they send it to the, to the public school system. So the, the government's not paying for anything. They're not doing the work to make it happen. They're not doing anything. So I think that's silly. But So I want you to just play this out. So over time, the government keeps extending free education to, to our youth, which is crazy because if there's one thing all Americans can agree on, it's that our public schooling system is awful. And thank you to the government for ruining it for us. Why would you want to continue pouring money into a system that is deeply broken? So, and now she wants to extend it to college. Well, first of all, are you going to extend that to uh, graduate school? Are you going to extend that to post-bachelor's degree? I mean, and, and if it's free, then every kid will be expected to go to college. So now instead of a 12-year degree to get a job, now... It's going to be expected that you ha that you go to school for 16 years. 16 years. Well, I guess plus preschool and kindergarten. So now it, it will be expected. You're going to be 22. So we just keep on pushing back the, the age of responsibility. It used to be the age of responsibility is 18. Okay. And, and a lot of people used to be completely independent uh even younger than that you know my my dad graduated high school when he was 16 and started uh full-time work and so if you keep pushing back the age of responsibility it's going to push back when people start having kids once when people start building a life for themselves and so now you're going to be in school for 16 years or or 20 years if you go to graduate school before you ever get a chance to start actually making money and figuring out how this world works excuse me <clears throat> it's going to be 20 years before you get a job and, and start making your own money and learning how to pay bills and learning how to pay taxes um so this idea, first of all, assuming that it's assuming that it really is free and it's not going to raise taxes whatsoever, which is silly. The cost 
is four additional years of your life, if not eight additional years of your life before you get your life started. So that was a long rant. So anyway, here we go. Leaving Creole to college and trade school. Um, and I also believe that as a progressive Democrat, one of the biggest threats facing America is income inequality. And it is a situation and it is a, an issue that we need to address head on. And that starts with our electoral system. Okay. So when Democrats talk about income inequality, usually what they're referencing is raising the minimum wage. So I, I, I don't remember if I've gone through this previously, but... I think I did with Shekinah uh, an episode or two ago, but raising the minimum wage, if if your intent is to help people uh, get ahead in life, like if your intent is to close the wage gap and you think that raising the minimum wage will do that, well, why just stop at $15 an hour? You know, why not make it $20 an hour? You know, if you really want to help people, if you really want to close the wage gap and this is how you do it, why wouldn't you make it $50 an hour? Just, okay, make it $100 or a $1 million an hour. You know what? If you really want people in this country to, to succeed and be able to get a good house, to be able to send their kids to college, to, to, to never be hungry again, make the minimum wage a $1 million an hour. You know, everyone should be rich, right? Everyone should be millionaires. Well, you can go to a lot of very, very poor African countries right now and exchange your American $1 bill for a billion, you know, African dollars. Okay, but it's still just worth one American dollar. If you start paying people, if you start just raising the minimum wage, the only thing you're doing is weakening the value of the dollar. So now, instead of... So if, if the minimum wage is $15 an hour or $100 an hour, your purchasing power, economically speaking, is still the same. Because now instead of you know a $10 burger... Now it's going to be a hundred dollar burger, right? If, so let's just change that. Say the minimum wage is ten dollars an hour. A burger is going to be ten dollars. If the minimum wage is a hundred dollars an hour, well, a burger is going to be a hundred dollars. So they're just going to raise the prices to match the minimum wage. So your your logic to help people, therefore we have to increase the minimum wage. It doesn't make any sense. The purchasing power, all it does is weaken the purchasing power of the dollar. That's the classic question, right? How do we pay for all this? It's, uh, we already do pay for it. It's, huh. so here's what I, what I often tell people. Budgets are moral documents. Budgets are mathematical documents, and they have to be balanced, okay? Budgets are not always a question of how much do we have, which yes, we are. do have enough. No, we don't. But it's, it's about where are we spending the money that we already have. The GOP tax bill, the amount of money that was given to corporations and the rich would have paid for Medicare for all and health care for every man, woman, and child in this country for the next five years. So it's there. We don't – and additionally, we added another – 
we added another several hundred billion dollars additionally to our military spending when the military didn't even ask for it. They didn't even want that additional spending, but we lopped it on there. And that could have financed public college tuition for... for. Okay. So, I, I do disagree with what she, with the whole with her whole idea of what she's trying to say. At the same time, if we would stop, if we would if we would cease going to war to all these pointless wars in other countries, this is just my personal opinion. You may disagree. If we would just focus on protecting America. And not protecting and not like trying to meddle in every other country's affairs. Let them work it out. It's it's kind of a capitalistic idea. Let these other countries just figure it out themselves. Let them let them let them work through their own problems and issues and come to a resolution. Why does America have to spend so many billions of dollars trying to fix other people's problems? It's ridiculous. We should focus on ourselves. We should rebuild our own country and i think that's what trump is wanting to do especially after pulling out of syria and and different things like that i think he's trying to save money and reinvest that in america listen if we stopped spending so much money on other countries we really wouldn't have to spend 700 billion dollars a year on our military and we could spend maybe 500 billion dollars a year and then we have 200 billion extra by the way 500 billion dollars on a military is still like five times more than what China spends on their military and China's the second biggest military so or second highest funded military i think they have by far more troops than any other country in the world just because of the sheer number but i really would not have an issue if we would stop going to war with other countries, as long as it, as long as nobody's trying to invade other countries and trying to take land like you know Hitler did in World War II, I would not have an issue whatsoever with just completely withdrawing troops from every. I don't like seeing troops get killed. I don't. Okay, call me crazy. I want the troops to come back to America, be ready for conflict if the, if need be. But at the same time, it's like, bro, we're spending so much money on other countries. I'm ready to, I'm ready to start spending money in America. So I disagree with her premise as far as reallocating that, stealing, stealing taxpayer dollars to go to paying for universal health care, universal college, and all these very expensive things. But I, I do, I do semi agree with her one point about maybe we could find ways to to lower our costs um, as far as spending money on the military goes just by protecting America instead of other countries. Here we go. Years as well. So we actually have the money for these things. Additionally, we we also need to return to the taxation levels that we had uh, in decades past. And so we're not even talking about anything new. We had um, we had a point in our country, a point of actually very great social and economic mobility, where taxation at the very, 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 very top levels uh, was a bit higher. And okay, when she says a bit higher, she means about two or three times what it is now. Okay, so a bit you think okay maybe it was like five or ten percent higher. No, 
I think the taxation level for for the wealthiest uh, tax bracket, I think is like 40% or something right now. Well, it used to be like 80 to 85%, okay, in the 50s or 60s or whatever, she whatever decade she's referencing. Okay, and so you think, oh, wow, so we did used to do that, and it worked out great. No. Those were the ta- – that, that was the percentage that was supposed to be taxed. But the top 1%, the reason they're in the 1% is because they're smart, okay? And so they didn't actually pay – you know, 85% of their money to taxes. They found loopholes. They found ways to get around it. They found ways, you know, donating money to certain charities that they would then just collect the checks themselves. They found ways around it. Uh, They would work as much as they possibly could without being in the top tax bracket. And then with the leftover money, they would, they would find ways around paying taxes. And so She's saying that the tax rate was 80 or 85%, but in reality, nobody paid. Anybody who was rich enough to be taxed 85% was also smart enough to not pay 85% of their money to taxes. No one in our country felt the higher taxation rates for the, not even the 1%, but the top one of 1%. I think one myth that's really important to dispel here is that a lot of people think that doctors and lawyers are in the 1%, but they're not. Okay, that is just outright false. Anyone who makes more than $196,000, I believe it's $196,000 a year, which is a decent chunk of change, but it's not astronomical by any stretch of the imagination. Even real estate agents very commonly are known to make that much money. And so technically, you are in the top 1% if you make more than $196,000 a year, which a doctor, a lawyer, real estate agents, these people oftentimes, very often make more than $196,000 a year. Maybe not real estate agents, uh, but lawyers and doctors, oh my gosh, they, they easily make that much money. And so to say that they're not in the top 1% is just an outright lie. So I don't really understand what she's trying to do here by just blatantly lying. Um, Billionaires are. We're talking about people with hundreds of millions and billions of dollars. Um, Okay, if that's true, there's like maybe 2,000, maybe two or 3,000 billionaires in the United States. So she's talking about you know, one one thousandth of one percent. So like point zero zero one percent. She's not talking about the one percent. She's obviously never sat down and actually done the math. I don't think she's ever answered a math question correctly in her entire life. I don't know how she got an economics degree. Probably because all of her teachers already agreed with what she was saying. Having their taxation rates and paying a lower taxation rate than a waitress. And so we need to even that out. That is not true. the revenue that we bring in from that, which would be felt by very few Americans. Okay, so what she just said was that the top 1% billionaires, which is not true. I mean, they are in the 1%, but you don't have to be a billionaire to be in the 1%. Uh, What she just said was that waitresses and billionaires need to be leveled out and be paying this. I think she accidentally made a mistake here when she said that. Uh... Because that's what 
the majority of libertarian slash conservative Republicans want to do. They want to even out the tax bracket. So instead of the more money you make, the higher taxes you pay, and the lower amount of money you make, the less taxes you pay, everyone should pay a flat tax rate of like 25% or 20% or something like that. That way you can't... I don't know. I mean, I think we should pay some taxes, but it should be significantly less than what we pay now. You know, I had a college professor. I, I said earlier that my economics teachers would give me brain damage. Okay, the head of the economics department at UNC, when he was teaching me economics, it was macroeconomics, he was explaining how a, a budget deficit works. And I'm really not sure if he understands how to solve it, but he tried to explain how easy it would be to just solve the budget deficit every year in this country. So we're already in $20 trillion, or actually I think it's $22 trillion now, dollars uh, in debt. Okay, so what he was saying was that we should increase spending, right, just a little bit, you know, on healthcare, education, a little bit, a tiny little bit, because healthcare is not expensive. So we should just increase spending a little bit, but massively increase our taxation. And so if you massively, in if you increase taxes more than you increase spending, then over the long run, you'll be able to whittle, you'll kind of be able to chip away at the debt. And so that was his explanation on how we could uh, eliminate the budget deficit was was just massively increasing taxes and then kind of increasing our spending. And I raised my hand and I said, so why couldn't we lower taxes and lower spending or just lower spending, period? And he laughed at me in front of the class and said, okay, that's just ridiculous. I mean, who's going to want to give up Medicare? And I'm like, you are an economics professor, and in your mind, the only way to eliminate the budget is to increase spending and increase taxes. So, I, I just, oh God, it was just giving me brain damage. I hated going to college because every everything that they were saying was just so biased. It was like, bro, read an economics book. Okay, because what you're saying is actually not the only option. He was implying that the only way to do it was this way. And so, and these are the people that are teaching your children economics when they go to college. It, it, it's just, it's so crazy that they actually think that that is the only way to do it. And so, anyway, there's a minute and a half left in this video. Would finance social systems and finance the expansion of opportunity for all and this is not something that's new it's not something that's radical it's something that we used to do and um it 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 is a an interesting it is kind of an, an interesting thing like when donald trump tapped into this idea of make america great again oh how terrible there there were there was times of economic opportunity. Wages rose until the 1970s. That's because there wasn't an artificial minimum wage. 
the reason wages rose until the 1970s is because the government wasn't involved. Oh my gosh. And I think it sounds like so, so controversial to say, but I think it is important that we do look back at times of great social and economic mobility. And of course, we have a lot of social progress to be to have made from then. But economically, when we look at a time of unions, when we look at a time of fair taxation rates, when people were, you know, when the very rich were paying their fair share, that was the time when we went to the moon. That was the time when Americans could afford a home. That was a time when people could afford to have a spouse raise their children and the other spouse um, help make ends meet. And all of those aspects, I think, are important to re-examine and, and look at when we ask this question, how do we pay for it? Because the resources are not as scarce as people like to make us believe. Okay, that's not true. The resources are actually so scarce that we have negative 20 trillion of those resources. So we actually, it's not, it's not even that we just don't have the extra resources to do it. We actually have less than zero of the resources to get this done. So she's really not thinking about this. You can tell that she that she's parroting a lot of just things that she probably heard that she read on social media. She probably read a a BuzzFeed article or something and she's just trying to she's just trying so hard to kind of parrot what that was saying. And you can tell she's just really not very informed on anything that she's trying to say, especially about economics. It's just so silly. Um, okay, and I wanted to say this one last thing before I, before I go. So Democrats want to make college free, okay? And they say, all we have to do is just raise taxes 10%, and we can have free college for everyone, or whatever the percentage is. Okay, if you as a Democrat or as a Republican are willing to pay – you know, an additional 3% of your income for the rest of your life to be able to have free college or 5% or 10 or 20% or whatever, however much it would have to be raised to pay for college. If you're willing to pay a percentage of your income to, to have free college, you can already do that through privatized means. So there is actually, you can Google this. There's actually a company that you can exchange 3% of your income for the rest of your life and they will completely pay for your college for free no matter where you go, I believe. So that's already possible through privatized means. And I'm and so I don't know why they feel the need for government to get involved in that. And and Oh, it's just so frustrating. It's like, dude, if you Google free college, so so I, what can you do? I think it's it, but anyway. Basically, it's just a program through a company, and you agree to to pay. You you sign a contract and you say, I'll pay three percent of my income for the rest of my life, and they will completely pay for your college. You can already do that if you want to. So why would you why would you want to be indebted to the government? Uh, for your education. I, I just don't understand. Why would you want to pay 5 or 10% of your money when you can pay 3% right now and get free college? So I don't know why people just think that government is the only solution. So 
I feel like changing the entire law of the country to force everyone to increase their taxes so that you can go to college for free. What a selfish thing to do. Why would you want to increase everybody in the United States taxes when you could just do it yourself and pay 3% of your income and get free college? Anyway, just I, I, I feel like people just need to be told that. And if people knew that, that you could trade a percentage of your income for free college already, I don't feel like nearly as many people would be trying to steal money from everybody in America to get free college. So anyway, just, just some food for thought. Thanks for listening. It's always better Nate than never.